Oh, we don't have enough blooper clips, though. Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. I'm Michael Gao, the incoming college freshman, and I'm joined by two incoming high school seniors, Nee and Dominic. Today, we will be talking about the strategy to approach the early application deadline. Early action, early decision, and early decision two, and how you should make the decision of whether to apply early or to apply regular decision. Okay, so there are two ways you can apply. You can either apply early or regular. And within early, there are also two options. You can apply early action or early decision. So the difference between the two is early action is not binding, which means if you're accepted, you don't have to go to the school, but early decision is binding. So if you're accepted, then you will have to go to that school and you can only really back out due to financial reasons but it's also really hard to do that. And for regular decision, you just apply, you can apply to as many schools as you want. And from there, when you get your acceptance back, usually in May or something, or April, then you can decide whether, which school you want to go to. And so early action is just early decision, except that you are not forced to go to the school. It is non-binding. Sometimes, like early decision, some schools have early action rounds that are restrictive which means that you can only apply to that school. Schools like Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and Stanford are early action restricted, which means if you get in, you don't have to go, but you can only apply to those schools in the early application deadline. Some honors programs also highly encourage you to apply early decision, like the Huntsman program at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, A quote from their website says, Students are encouraged to apply early decision provided the Huntsman program is their first choice. So whenever whenever a college says encourage, it generally means it is required. So some of these programs will require you to apply early. So just keep your head up for those types of schools. And also now, aren't like, didn't a lot of schools get rid of, uh, was it early decision? Like most, a lot of the um, top tier schools are mainly early action now. Yeah, especially, so for example, the University of Virginia, which is a pretty good public school, um, recently got rid of their early decision round for early action. And the reason why they did that, the justification they gave, is that early decision benefits richer, more affluent families because they don't need to worry about their financial situation. If they get in, they're going to go. Whereas middle class, low class families might not have that same ability to say, yeah, I'll go anywhere. Yep, and make sure when you apply to these schools, each different school, especially the top tier ones, will have different restrictions on their early action programs. So make sure you check that school's website specifically because you don't want to get in trouble with the schools and accidentally apply somewhere else and then you're caught between two schools that require you to go there. So make sure you're always looking those up. And so, for example, early action restrictive schools like Princeton, you can't apply to any other private school in their early application process. But there are some exceptions. So Princeton and a lot of these other early action restricted schools still allow you to apply to state schools and state schools with honors programs and scholarships, as well as international schools. And so there's no hard and fast blanket rule about early action and early decision. So you really have to do your own research on each individual school. And then if early decision is uh, something that you're considering, there are also different types of early decision rounds. For example, UChicago has a two-part early decision application process. So there's an early decision one, which is earlier in the year during the normal early decision rounds about November uh, or early December. And then they also have the early decision two, 
which is going to be around January. So it does give you another uh, extra month to work on your application, and it just allows the student more possibilities and time with their application to work with. And I expect to see many other schools adopt this in the future, just because a lot of the other schools want to follow the top tier schools in what they're doing, uh, because it kind of groups them together. So I do think a lot of different schools will adopt this later on. So this might be better applicable down the road. And then also there are a bunch of schools that do rolling admissions. There will be a link to a li complete list of schools that have rolling admissions in the show notes uh, right under this podcast. But uh, the, what these schools do is they have a time frame where you can apply. So it'll be, let's say, November to March. And you can submit your application anytime during then. So there is no deadline other than the end of the deadline. And a lot of these schools are not the top schools but they are your kind of local schools or specific art or music schools that want to allow many students to apply to their institution. So make sure that if you're looking at these schools, see if there's a rolling admission so that you might be able to focus on your other applications and give a little bit more time to that before you do your rolling admissions schools. And then also for rolling admissions, usually you'll submit your application and they sometimes will get back to you like within a month or something like that so you kind of have a school that has already accepted you so it helps minimize the stress a little bit because you know that you're for sure going to be able to go to college so that's also um, a good reason you should consider applying to at least one rural admission school so that you know you have a school in your back pocket. Exactly and what Nee said about it being in your back pocket is a really good phrase to use because you can also apply to rolling admission schools if after the, you know, April-ish when all the schools have come out and you have literally gotten in nowhere, then rolling admissions is a really good friend to you. So there's always those stories of people who only apply to the Ivy League schools and they all get rejected from all of them. Uh, so they're in a bad position, but rolling admission schools are there so that these kids who make that decision can also still apply. Yeah, and curiously enough on that list, there's also a large group of schools in there with a 100% acceptance rate. So if you want to go to college, they will take you. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in any of them, you're probably going to get a spot unless you're going to be the one student that they reject out of all their applicants. But then also, like, if these schools might not sound like you're, like, really prestigious schools or the schools you that everyone knows, but you can also look into their specific programs and you might find something because I know I was looking at, I think it was Penn State or something, and I want to do something in like the medical field. So they also had like accelerated programs and stuff like that that you wouldn't really think of finding there. So you can definitely um, do more research and find a program that might be fit for you. Definitely. That's a really good point. Okay, so is it advantageous to apply early rather than regular decision? Uh, the way colleges answer this question is they say that it doesn't matter, especially for these top tier institutions. It will obviously matter for your state schools and schools that are focused on filling up their numbers with students. But for the top tier schools, they do say that it doesn't matter um, if you apply early or regular because they weigh all the applications the same, except it is kind of up in the air because there are certain things that would lead you to believe uh, why early admission would be better. Yeah, these schools are just lying. Um, the statistics definitely show that there is a higher admission rate for those who apply early, and that most of the freshman class, or at least a significant part of the freshman class, is made up of people who chose to apply early. So I'll give you some statistics. 
Rice University in Houston had an admission rate of 19.1% for the early decision round, whereas their regular decision and overall acceptance rate was down at 9 to 11%. Um, to the Ivy League schools, it's the exact same way, especially with those that aren't you know considered as highly as the other ones. So I'll give you, for example, Cornell has an early decision round acceptance rate of 256 whereas their regular decision acceptance rate is at 11%, and their overall acceptance rate is at 12.5%. Dartmouth has an early decision acceptance rate of 27.8%. That's almost 30%, whereas its regular decision acceptance rate is only 8.5%. So it seems very, very clear to me that there is an advantage to applying early decision. But even there seems to be an advantage for applying early action. Um, For example, Yale has an early action acceptance rate of 17%, whereas their regular decision acceptance rate is only 5%. So that is nearly triple the regular decision rate. Um, So as much as colleges like to say that it doesn't matter um, because they don't want to get that many applications in the early round, it seems abundantly clear that it does. And the way that colleges rebut this, or these statistics, is they say that the numbers are the way they are because the application pool of students who apply early are going to be your better students overall, and they're going to be more compelling to the university, and that's why they're applying early. So, for example, your Harvard application pool, they're going to have these amazing students in this first application pool, but not so amazing in the second part. And then we'll talk about Harvard's numbers and other schools' numbers later on. But the the main reason why they say these numbers are the way they are is because the students who apply early tend to be a better fit and better prepared for that school. But my my point to that one is that there are also plenty of students who are very motivated and really want to get in these Ivy League schools, but just don't have the background. Like they've done the generic stuff their entire high school career, and they have great stats, they have great grades, they have great test scores, they did math club or whatever and did really well. But, you know, there are students who are going to be very prepared but also that just don't have what it takes to get into a top-tier school, and they're still going to apply. So I don't know if their rebuttal is very compelling, at least to me. Yeah, also the thing about where the students that who apply early are usually better than the regular ones, sometimes I think just like you have just as qualified students in regular decision, and the only reason they didn't apply early because they aren't for sure for sure that they want to commit to that school, also like dealing with like financial aid and all that. So they just want to apply regular decision and then see which school they want to go to. So I don't really think like they're less qualified. For sure. Yeah, I, th- I also think another problem with this is with the number of applicants rising each year due to the common app and it being easier to apply to schools and more people learning about these schools and what they offer, uh, the schools don't really change their class sizes that much. While the numbers are rising yeah. in you know thousands per year, some schools are up to 100,000 applicants a year. And what these schools are doing in the early decision or early action rounds is they're taking almost half of their student or incoming class of freshmen and they're filling it with the early application round. And I'd be willing to say that you're going to have about a 90% rate of kids who go to the school, or even if they're doing early action where they can go to any other school, just because they obviously have shown interest in going to that school. So if they're already filling, you know, 40 to 50% of their class, and then you have 40,000 kids fighting for the rest of it, that second group of kids applying, that number is obviously going to be a bit less. So I think that does contribute to the early decision versus regular decision numbers. But I also do think there's something else going on there. 
whether it's, you know, they're actually better or the schools are trying to fill their numbers early on, which I understand the reasons behind both, but it is pretty unsure of why these numbers are the way they are. Especially for the early decision round, schools, you know, as much as they say they don't care, they do care about their yield rate. They brag about it in press releases that their yield rate is at the highest rate in decades, so they clearly care. And, you know, what yield rate is, is the number of people who actually matriculate into the school over the number of people who were accepted. And if you have a high matriculation rate, it shows that you're, you know, a very attractive school to students. And if you have a very low matriculation rate, it shows that many school students treat your school as a backup. So it clearly matters to schools, which is why I think, you know, why the early decision admissions rates are so much higher, because you, the schools are guaranteed to have people who are admitted and go to the school, which obviously brings up their matriculation, your yield rate, and it makes them look better. And so, like, I don't want to sound too conspiratorial about this. It's just s- schools care about their numbers. We care about our test scores. They care about our test scores. They also care about their yield rate. Okay, so what about the whole debate between early action and early decision? Like, which one is better or... Because, like, I've heard some people say that now schools don't really view early action as favorably. Because, like, most schools don't have early decision anymore, and they don't even view early action favorably. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, So, like, back to the conversation about the yield rate, right? So, there's a lot of schools that care about yield rate. There's some schools who already know their yield rate's going to be fine. So, Harvard is one of those. Harvard tries to target about like an 80 to 85% um, yield rate. And if they get any more than that, if they get any more freshmen who matriculate into their class, there's just not enough space for them. And so this happened last year where because they had to take zero people off their wait list, they had to defer people uh, and encourage them to take a gap year. So I think for some of these top tier schools that do early action and do restrictive early action like Harvard, Yale, and Princeton really don't weight the early action round as heavily. Now, their statistics do still indicate that there's a higher acceptance rate for the early action round, but then at that point, that might be explained by the explanation that the schools give that statistics are better for the students who apply early because they tend to be better prepared. But, you know, applying early definitely has some disadvantages because you have to apply early, which means that you don't get as much time. And then also with like standardized tests and stuff, you might not have time to take that one extra test like a third time or take an extra subject test or something like that. Because mostly if you want to do early decision, you would have to have your testing done by the end of September. Yep, Yep. specifically that October SAT date and any other ACT date then or after that, those scores aren't going to be back in time for your early application. So make sure that all of your testing is done by the August SAT date or the equivalent ACT date because the October one is going to be too late for the early application. Yeah, so like the key thing about applying early is you have to make sure that you have like a schedule already that you're going to finish all your standardized testing and have your essay written over the summer. That's why you should really start early and start working on your essay in case you do want to apply early decision or early action because your deadline is usually November 1st compared to other students who have an extra two months to work on their essay and their entire application. And, you know, not just working on the application and doing testing, there's also your extracurricular activity time to think about. If you had an extracurricular track record that was lacking in leadership or awards prior to senior year, 
your last chance to get stuff for the college apps is that first semester senior year, and you lose out on that opportunity if you choose to apply early, because you lose November and December. You lose two really big months for volunteering, for example. If you became the president of a volunteer organization, November and December are where you're going to do your big projects, rather than September and October before you apply early. And when, you, when you're applying early or regularly, you have to weigh your time as well. So we kind of talked about how you're going to get this extra amount of time and you can also work on these applications. But I know Michael and I have talked about this before because uh, we'll talk about it more in a little bit. But I'm kind of against the early application for myself just because I'm not really sold on one place. And I just would like to take the extra time with my application. But something that Michael and I have discussed is, will you actually use that extra month and a couple of days to be productive with your application and keep working on it and work on the extracurriculars? Or is this gonna just going to be extra procrastination time where you're going to say, oh, I still have this extra month, I can wait on my application? Because the sooner it's done, first of all, the easier your senior year is going to be around the holiday season, and you don't want to spend your whole winter break working on college applications. But like I also, did. yeah, also this extracurricular time that you're going to have, it's just going to make senior year a lot easier and much more enjoyable, knowing that your applications are done during the regular decision time. But if you can get it done early decision and be happy with that or early action, that frees up one more application and you're just going to have more time to do it. And as while you're home during the summer or at the beginning of the year when classes haven't picked up that much, I mean, it's just easier to do it early action or early decision, especially if you have a school in mind. So keep thinking about that and kind of weigh the time and see if you'll actually be productive during that month and what that will give you in your application and if it's worth risking the numbers that we discussed earlier with the difference between early and regular. Yeah. So like the whole thing if you want more time, if you want like a extra month or something like that, that's why I think like early decision 2 is really interesting and you should really look into it because it does give you that extra time and then it also based on the statistics, gives you a better chance of getting in because it also sometimes has similar numbers to the first early decision round. So maybe you want to consider that because you get extra time and then also your chances are um, are pretty similar to if you applied for the November 1st deadline. Definitely. Yeah, Michael, with that with that UChicago uh, ED1 versus ED2 that we are talking about, mm-hmm. um, since I know you applied there, what is the difference that they say between those two rounds? Um, so what UChicago says is that there is absolutely no difference between them. And so they also have an early action one round that is oh, the man. same timeline as their early decision. I know. it's So they have confusing. four applications. Yeah, they do. And so and so it's it's you know very clear to me, you know, first of all, UChicago is a school that really cares about its numbers and really care about its yield. And the second thing is that, by having both an early action and an early decision round, what you've said is basically you've segmented the population. One population that can afford to do early decision, one population that can afford to commit to going to UChicago without seeing the financial aid package, and another population who says, UChicago's my first choice, but I really don't have that type of energy and resources. And so from the admissions counselor's standpoint, they're going to give more weight to the early decision people because, one, they've are committed so they improve UChicago's yield rate but two is that early deci- because their early action round is non-restrictive meaning that people who apply early action to UChicago can also apply early action to other schools like Georgetown 
then there's not as much weight given to the early action people and their interest in the school because they can apply to other schools early too. So U Chicago, I have some serious problems with when it comes to their uh, application timelines. Do they send out letters at the same time for ED1 versus ED2 or are those separate? They're separate because Okay, so you just hear back earlier. Yeah, so ED1, you hear back earlier. ED2, you do hear back earlier than your standard like April 28th date, but... March. Um... Yeah, March 28th yeah. date, but it's not, it's obviously not as early as early decision one because you're applying later. Okay, so what about the financial packages for early decision compared to like regular decision? Is there a difference? Because like if you apply early decision, like you're gonna have to go. So would they like not be more inclined to give you more money or something like that? Or is that not how it works? They say it's not how that works. They say everybody gets the same treatment. And yeah, I'm inclined. I think it'd be the same. I'm inclined to believe them, um, like Dominic. Yeah. But there are ways to increase your financial aid package after getting it back. So here's what I did, right? I got into Brown, the University of Pennsylvania, and Columbia. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania gave me the best financial aid package. So what I did is I sent UPenn's <laughs> offer to Columbia and Brown, oh, and Col- Columbia and Brown matched it, oh, or guy. basically matched it. So oh, if you... <laughs> um how did you go about that did you just like forward it to them and be like match it or i promise you i won't come well i didn't say or i promise you i won't come but i did say i did say match it oh my god well you know i said it nicer i gotta see that i said it like you know um i like columbia a lot but financial circumstances i don't want my financial circumstances to prevent me to come if you could match the university of pennsylvania's offer i would be much more inclined to you know you know i I fancied it up a little bit, but basically I said, match it. <laughs> I wish Brown would have just laughed in your face and then been like, oh, nope, you're not coming. I wish they did too. Then I wouldn't have had a, as harder of a decision. Were those your two that you were thinking about? Um, it was between those three. Those no, three. Brown Brown got kicked off the list. Like, oh. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. It's the middle of nowhere. Come wow, on. Michael. Thank you for letting me in your school. You're going to fence a knee school like that? <laughs> Anyways, um... We've given you some pros and cons about applying early. So now I kind of want to share why I applied early. And I'm going to ask Dominic and me what they're thinking if they're going to apply early or not. And if so, to which school? So I did choose to apply early to Princeton through their early uh, restrictive early action application process. And my thought process there was twofold. One was that my application was going to look about the same whether I applied in November or in January because the first semester of my senior year did not have anything game-changing in it. Nothing was going to fundamentally shake up my narrative. Nothing was going to fundamentally shake up my essays. And the second reason why I chose to apply early is that despite what Princeton and other colleges say about how applying early doesn't really help, I saw those stats. And there's could be there might just be a very small chance that those stats actually indicate what we think they do, which is that when you apply early, you get some advantage. But I was going to take that chance because there is no disadvantage to me not applying early because I didn't need that extra time. I was ready to go. So I went. What about you guys? So for me right now, I'm not planning on applying early. Uh, first of all, just because uh, I'm not sold. Like I said earlier, I'm not just sold on one school completely i think there's a lot of good options out there and i kind of like to explore them equally in the regular decision round i also have a big thing going for my extracurriculars um, in the beginning of the fall semester 
and also leading into um, winter break. So I'd like to have more time to talk about that. And then I also I'll be getting a, an extra recommendation letter from somebody or in, in that area. So I want to give them more time and also more substance to write about for what I've done. And I also want to be able to spend more time on my supplements because I will be applying to lots of schools that do have supplements. I just want to make sure I'm able to spend the time on them. And hopefully I will be using that extra month wisely. Definitely. What about uni? So I'm actually thinking about applying early. And my thought process is that applying early, of course, like based on the statistics, does help your chance of getting in. Like it increases your chances. And I believe in that. So I think it would be advantageous for me to apply early. And also, I... I feel like an extra month or two won't really help me and I would get too distracted by also working on my apps for other schools, my supplements for other schools that I really won't be able to focus on this school. I'm thinking of applying to Brown for now. I'm not set on that, but I really want to put a lot of time into it and just send it and apply it early because that's when I'm going to have the best chance of getting in. So cause, because it's a school I really like, I feel like applying early is the better option definitely um and if you're thinking about applying into brown's um, program in liberal medical education um, it's also one of those that encourages people who are interested in the program to apply early decision as well Um, and it's also specifically advantageous for that program because they do cap the number of people admitted into the eight-year program so in the regular decision round there just might not be spots like if you apply regular and you're better than an early decision candidate there's nothing they can do even though you're better or more qualified so that's definitely something um, to think about yeah and then also if you get in early then you don't really have to apply into to any other school so you can enjoy your winter break so exactly senioritis starts a little bit early <laughs> right oh yeah but you also got to make sure that you really like the school that you're applying early to especially early decision because if you're get if you're gonna get accepted then you have to go there's really no backing out like i was talking to my counselor and there have been like two cases in like so many years that she's been there where people backed out and they remain like they're really only for financial reasons so you really shouldn't count on backing out of a school that you apply to early decision and you get in yeah, and if you back out, it actually looks pretty bad for your high school. Like, there are stories of people who backed out of their um, early decision contract, and their school has just been blacklisted by that college or university. So it doesn't just impact you. Mm-hmm. But also, like, keep in mind, you know, to Dominic's point about not being set into one school, that there are early action programs that are non-binding that still let you apply regular while taking advantage of potential advantages given to people who apply early. So just keep that in mind. Another thing to remember with these early applications is not only do you have to meet the deadlines with all the things you need to do, but also your teachers and counselor have to finish up their recommendations and anybody else that you ask to write recommendation letters for you. So make sure that you're giving them enough time, not only to be courteous to them, but to also make sure that they're able to do the most for you in this application process. I know we've talked about this before, but this extends even further in the early application because that's a whole month earlier that you need to make sure that they're okay with writing it for you and that they can get planning. And uh, But the other good thing about this is that if they're already writing your recommendation letters early, it could be better for them later on because they won't have to write another letter when everybody else is applying regular. So you might be able to get this done out of the way even sooner 
and that's one less thing to worry about going into the regular decision or regular application time. That's a really good point. So I had a question. So like the deadline for early decision, early action is November 1st. But do most people wait until that deadline to apply or like when did you send in your application? Um, I sent it in on um, November 1st. Yeah. And I remember that date because our home internet actually went out on the evening of November 1st. So I had to go to the library to um, finish my application or, you know, not finish my application, but just to send it in. I remember there was a uh, there was a big internet service provider outage on that night. So a lot of yeah. people actually had that. So everybody was scrambling. It was mm-hmm. kind of funny to watch as a junior. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing at our misery. People who applied early this year were also benefited by the fact that a lot of schools extended their deadlines for everybody as a result of the hurricanes in oh, yeah. Hurricane Harvey yeah. and also, yeah, Hurricane Harvey. So, you know, like this year was an exception. Hopefully Hurricane Harvey does not happen again and does not happen around this time again. But this year, people who were a little slow with their application did have a little bit of leniency. So can you apply to schools like rolling admissions earlier than November 1st? Like, will you get will you get your answers back before November 1st? Yeah, you will. Um, so for example, UTD is the only rolling admission school I did. And that's because it was, it's very close to home. It's like a 20 minute drive away. And if you had applied early, then they typically turn around their applications in two weeks very early on. And so that's what happened to me. My first college acceptance was from UTD. Yay. Very exciting. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com aupod and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com aupod to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selections of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. For your free book, I highly recommend Lacey Crawford's book called Early Decision. Early Decision is a fiction novel based on Lacey Crawford's experience as a former college admissions consultant. I'm reading it right now, and boy, do I connect with some of these stories. The pressure, the competition, and the difficulty in crafting your own personal, authentic, unique, amazing narrative. It's so hard, and I think if you listen to this podcast, you'll probably like it too. Uh, Lacey Crawford has really seen it all. In a pre-release article to the New York Post, she describes this incredible scene where we get a picture of how unequal, unjust, and dehumanizing this process can be. Quote, One father requested that my meetings with his son take place in the Midtown offices of his private equity group. His son would take the train in from Greenwich and meet me there. I offered to meet the boy somewhere easier, but no. It wasn't safe, the father explained, as he led me into the vast glass space of his office where his son was sitting. In fact, he had personally walked to Penn Station to meet his son train and escort him here. Then he took out his checkbook and asked me, in front of the boy, what I charged to write his essays. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible blatantly asking Lacey Crawford to write this kid's essay. It's absolutely amazing. And if you want to hear more stories like that, I highly recommend you check out Lacey Crawford's book, Early Decision. We are all reading that book and eventually we'll be discussing it and reviewing it. To get ready for that episode, get your free trial of Audible and check out Lacey Crawford's book, Early Decision. 
And remember, even if you don't want to listen to Lacey Crawford's book, you can pick any of Audible's many audiobook and audio selections to listen to. Even better, if you don't like the audiobook, return it to Audible free of charge and pick out a new one. That's Audible's guarantee. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash AUPod. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash AUPod for your free audiobook and to support the show. Okay, so you mentioned that you applied early action to Princeton and then you got deferred. So how exactly does the deferral work and like when you get transferred to regular decision and how they either like accept you or reject you? Yeah, so deferral is when you apply early to a school, especially early action, uh, because these are the schools that, you know, your top tier schools are going to defer a lot of kids just because they can't accept everyone. And they don't want to reject people flat out uh, because, it, you know, it looks bad for their school. But a deferral is when they're saying, oh, well, you know, we'll consider you later, uh, but we just can't accept you right now. But we also don't want to reject you. So what they do is assuming or you have to apply early. But if you apply early, th when they defer you, you're going to get moved to the regular decision round. So you're going to get a letter and it's going to say we're not able to offer you a spot at this time but we're deferring you to the regular round and they're going to consider your application later and michael do you want to talk about how that application goes through process again yeah so everything stays the same your essay stays the same your rec letters stay the same you can add additional information as i'll talk about a little later but the foundations of your application are the same except that it has a little sticker that says deferred from the early round. And there's no hard and fast rule here, but because that sticker is there, it could bias the admission officer negatively. So when I say that, there's also ways to get around that. There are also ways to turn that deferral into an acceptance letter. And there's two I want to mention here. One is a deferral letter. Um, it's also known as a letter of continuing interest by a lot of corners of the internet. And so what this letter does is, it's not an essay. It's a short, maximum one-page letter to your your regional admissions officer, to the dean of admissions, or just admissions officers in general, that says that you are still interested in the school. That if you are accepted, that you will matriculate into the school to assuage fears about yield rates, but also explain why you're interested in that school, again, even if you've already done that just to make yourself more compelling because you love their school so much. The other part to this deferral letter is to make your case again, not to repeat everything, but to add in anything else that came up. So any other new information that happened the first semester of senior year, any new awards, any new activities, any new leadership roles that you couldn't have put on in your early decision application. And so this letter could help make it clear to the admissions officer that you're still interested and that your narrative has stayed the same and has only grown stronger throughout senior year. The other thing that you could do to try to get accepted in the regular decision round after being deferred is to get administrators, counselors, principals to make a special call to the regional admissions officer. My take on this is that that extra mile, especially to... Uh, some schools that really value the personal connection with school administrators can really help because it shows that it's not just your teachers rooting for you. It's not just yourself rooting for you. It's these administrators who have a whole bunch on their plate. Now, it could a bug admissions officer if you do too many of these things. Like if you get all five of the principals at your school to make the call, it's going to be too much. Okay. But 
one call, uh, gentle email might be very helpful to you. Now, neither of these things worked for me, both for Princeton after I was deferred early and for Harvard when I was waitlisted. So I don't want to get your hopes up. It is a very hard thing to do, but it's definitely possible. And these things are ways to increase that likelihood. That letter of continued interest will also work for waitlists as definitely. well. So not only deferrals, but if you're waitlisted, that might be another option for you. But what are your chances of getting in when you're deferred from school? Yep, I'll go ahead and talk on that. Uh, we do have a few numbers prepared. We're prepared. Like we did earlier with the percentages. So to give you to give you some context, right, you have Amherst College. Uh, they had 482 students apply early decision. And then out of these 482, the numbers that have been released, you have 172 that got admitted and then 187 deferred, and then you have the rest rejected. So that's a pretty good split among the different categories, and I think that's a pretty fair acceptance and deferral rate. That There are quite a few students deferred, and probably not all of them got in, but Michael, would you agree that that's pretty fair? Yeah, um, and definitely not a lot of them got in. It's very small percentage. Yeah, but that does look like a good admission rate for these students and but then you kind of look at a harvard right so they had 5919 early applicants and out of that they deferred 4292 kids so you know they accepted about a thousand people which is you know amazing for a harvard class size Um, and that's kind of what attributes to this larger percentage that we see so they actually accepted 16.5 percent of those 5919 applicants, uh, which is much greater than their about 5% regular acceptance rate. So another thing attributed to that early versus regular decision. So there is a huge difference between the numbers there. But as you can see, there were so many kids deferred of the you know over 4,000 people from a not even 6,000 person applicant pool. And that's something you'll see along most of the Ivies. They really like to defer early applicants rather than reject them. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. From what I've learned through research, Stanford is kind of the opposite. They're pretty nice with this, and they will reject people <laughs> if they don't have a shot. And they defer very few, um, which is – it's nicer for the students to uh, if they know this because yeah. if you get deferred yeah. from Stanford, you actually have a legitimate shot at getting in, I believe. So if you're deferred from Stanford, you have a legitimate shot at getting in. If you're deferred from an Ivy League school, you weren't terrible as an applicant. Uh, this is my personal opinion, right? But you weren't terrible as an applicant, but – you weren't good enough to be accepted then, but you just have to realize this application process needs to be placed into context. You need to be very real with yourself during this process because it's going to hurt you if you get your hopes up or you have false uh, impressions of these schools. So if an Ivy League school defers you, you, you have to understand that there's a lot of other kids that got deferred along with you and they don't take very many people that got deferred later on. And that's just the logical conclusion you could do because if they say that they weigh the applications the same no matter what, if you didn't get accepted the first time, why are they going to accept you the second time? That being said, they do take people from the deferrals unless they have problems like last year where they weren't able to take many people that got deferred because they overbooked their class size. But people getting deferred to the regular round, it does happen where they get acceptance. They don't be completely discouraged, but it would be in your best interest to kind of look at your other schools and just have a plan otherwise. And then likewise at MIT, they had 6,519 early applicants and 4,456 of them were deferred. So out of 6,500, you had 4,500 deferred. So there's pretty much another 
Ivy League school in that case, and you can just see that they prefer deferring rather than rejecting. Definitely, and a lot of people get deferred, and very few people after they've been deferred get in. That's just the reality about a lot of these schools. My final thing about this, and it's going to be my second rant for the evening, but these schools, when they defer people, give people the false impression of hope. A lot of people, a false impression of hope. A lot of people are like, oh, I got deferred from Harvard. It's going to be great. I'm going to get in. And the numbers clearly show that's not true. But when you call an admissions officer, they're going to tell you that. They're going to tell you, look at other schools, but you might still get in. It's this false optimism, this false hope that really bugs me. And it's the thing that they always do. You know, when they send mailers to people who have no chance of getting in that school, you're giving that kid false hope. They think they're going to get in. They're very confident that they're going to get in. And then they don't because you want to keep your matriculation rates up, your yield rates up. And then what's even more awful about this and a certain irony to this is that when you defer a student from the early round to the regular round, you've deferred your final decision on that student another two to four months, right? But when you tell that student that they got in, they get maximum two months to decide if they want to go to your school. Because, you know, say a decision comes out on, you know, March 25th or whatever. The deadline for the student to matriculate into the school to pay the enrollment deposit is May 1st. The maximum they get is about a month and a half. But colleges get so many months to make these decisions. And so there's just this, you know, awful focus on yield rates, on acceptance rates that I guess colleges really care about, but it has massive effects on students. And so I think what a lot of schools currently do with deferring early students is really, really bad. Um, But that's just my second rant for the evening. I clearly have some feelings about this. (laughs) So to not sound as cynical as Michael just did, you just gotta really gotta be realistic throughout this whole process because, you know, you can put your whole application together and they say it's a holistic review, but there are also a lot of factors that you just can't control um, regarding the process. Like they have to take legacies, which is a whole nother debate, and then they're athletes and people that have special talents, like they might play an instrument that the school needs that year, so you can't really control that. So you just got to make sure that you present yourself um, in the best light possible, and then just the rest is up for chance, really. Definitely. So that was our episode on applying early, and I hope you learned a little bit about what each early application is, the early action, early decision, and early decision two, as well as rolling emissions. I hope you also got a better sense of how you're going to approach this process, how you're going to make that decision with the experiences I had and with the thoughts of me and Dominic. If you like the show, please support us on Patreon. You can give as little as $1 per podcast, and every single cent helps because we put a lot of energy into this podcast, and I hope you can tell. And even if you can't support us in that way, Try going to our link from audible.com at audibletrial.com slash AUPod because you going to that link and getting a free trial also supports us. And finally, if you need just a little bit extra individual help on test prep or essay review or college consulting, I do individual help at gowadmissions.com, gowadmissions.com. And please tell me that you came from this podcast. 
Finally, if you like what we're doing, please write a review on your podcast player, iTunes or Stitcher, because that really helps us expand our platform and get other people who need help to listen to our podcast too. Follow us on social media and subscribe to hear more. And if you have any questions, remember that there's a contact me form that you can use to leave feedback and questions. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. We have plenty of bloopers, never mind.